0: You're listening to the Traffic and Funnel Show. Todd Herman today on the Traffic and Funnel Show. Todd, great to have you, man. You just uh not too long ago, you are you are patient number 100 and what? Coronavirus in New York City. 120. Yeah, two, I, was, it? I was I was sub 2. I was sub 200. <laughs> Sub (laughs) 200. Yeah, we have a survivor on the show today. We have a freaking survivor to come and share his story. No, but I think it will relate to some of the things we'll talk about today because uh, if you guys don't know who Todd is, he's an absolute baller. And Todd works with uh, elite people in the world, athletes, Olympians, uh, millionaires, billionaires, royalty. So Todd, just take a minute and just share a little bit about who you are, what you do, and uh, anything else is just on your heart. Just share it, man.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I'll be very quick so that we can actually jump into more interesting things for everyone to listen to. So, yeah, I've been people not familiar. Um, I started a peak performance training and mental toughness training company back in 1997. Started off working with uh, amateur athletes because that's who I, all I was really qualified to work with. Which. 12, 13, 14-year-old kids. I just uh, got done playing college football. I was a National ranked Badminton player and I'm not a physically gifted person, but my strength was my my inner game and uh, just sort of fell backwards into being very good at teaching it to other youngsters and I uh, didn't plan on starting a business with it, but it sort of evolved into it when people started asking me to coach their sons and daughters um, on, uh, on the topic. And, uh, as a note to those of you that are just starting out, um, I started off at $75 for a package of three sessions, um, in home visits, by the high way, as tick, well. It, huh? Yeah. High ticket right there. But I did, and I did that for three years. Um, and yeah, but what it gave me was an absolute ton of reps, right? Like mm-hmm. you guys would talk about this, I'm sure in all of the sales training stuff. Like I mean, most things come down to skills and in order for you to acquire skills, you got to have reps. Like there's just no way about it. Uh way around it. Um and you know, when I did my, I remember when I did my Quicken, my Quicken taxes at the end of, uh, 97, 98, 99, going into 2000, um, my average was, I was paying myself $8 and 56 cents an hour. That was about my wow. average. Uh, now,
2: quick question. Is that because the tax rate in Canada is 80% or is that because you were charging <laughs> 75 bucks? So
1: Well, again, $75 for three sessions. So 25 bucks a session. I'm also driving everywhere this at this time, like I live in New York city now um, and, and lived all over the world. But um, I lived in Edmonton, Alberta at the time, which is a, one of the hockey hotbeds in the world produces per capita. Um, last stats, I checked the most NHL hockey players in, in the world. And wow. so super competitive spot, great place to be. And I was t- sort of focusing just on working with hockey players, even though I was a football guy and, and stuff. But, uh, yeah, it was the cost of gasoline that actually killed me, uh, because gas prices in Canada are are not as cheap as they are in the United States. And so, you know, and I lived in such a sprawling area, I'd be driving 40 minutes between each different, seeing each kid. And, uh, yeah, so that was actually the biggest cost was that not because it wasn't because I was, you know, running Facebook ads, which Facebook wasn't around back then. But, um, yeah, so anyways, long story short, I started there and then cycled up because of really alliances with really great mentors of mine, and working with pro athletes and Olympic athletes, and then that started another offshoot of a training company that worked with uh, uh, corporate leaders and built up one of the largest leadership programs in corporate history, uh, servicing all of the uh, energy companies around the world: Chevron, Shell, BP. Sold that to uh, Chevron back in 2007, and then you know started have a you know started other businesses as well. But everything everything's focused around basically peak performance and mindset stuff. So, what are you up to now? Uh, well, besides, Rona. besides the recovery path, um, you know, continue to, to work. I'll never stop being able to, or not never stop doing the work that I do with athletes. Um, and even though everyone talks about scaling, scaling, scaling of things, I never want to scale myself out of a job inside of my business of one-on-one focused work with really elite people, not people pretending to be elite because there's a lot of that out there but people that are truly trying to pursue extremely ambitious things in highly competitive markets, there's just so much friction that's there. And, and that's where I thrive as a coach. Um, but then on other things like definitely my, my getting more of my book out there constantly, even though it came out a year and a bit ago, um, I'll never be stop I'll never stop beating the drum of, you know, the old Alter Ego Effect book right there. Like <laughs> that oh, fancy, oh, fancy floating graphic right there. Um, nice. Or my kids' book, which is the theme of um, taking the theme out of the Alter Ego Effect and putting it on uh, for kids. And then I'm also, uh, I just partnered up with two brilliant SaaS guys to build out a group coaching SaaS platform to help people scale their group coaching um, with more automation, integrations, and less team and staff needed to uh, truly deliver the results that you want for your uh, clients. That's awesome, dude. Yeah.
0: What separates someone from being elite to being average?
1: Well, um, I actually just did a post uh on Facebook today. I was out golfing with my daughter Molly, who's seven on Sunday. And we we're uh, you know, I've got I've got her working really focusing on this pre-shot routine. She goes, um uh, you know, uh club, which is to focus on is the club, right? So club, hands arms, wiggle those toes, swing and through. And she just repeats that over and over because, you know, excellence is about the repetition of just the routine and the habit of some something. But um, something I talk to my kids all about is um, amateurs do it in the sunshine. Pros do it in the rain. And what I mean by that is the pros that are out there, the things that separate people who are just consistently just getting way different results than others is they don't wait till the good day they don't wait for inspiration to do something they don't wait until they're motivated they just do it because they say that they're going to do it because pros do it in the rain and that's one of many things that separates the elite from average is they pursue it because it's hard like so many people want to do things because it's easy and um and yet the real winners in life know that the great value that you're ever going to get from any experience is based on the level of difficulty that it is in front of you. Because the other version of you on the other side of something that's terribly challenging or difficult or hard is just an order of magnitude, massively different individual. And that's when Mm -hmm. I get excited about something um, is how difficult, I don't want to make it more difficult than it needs to be, but I want to yeah. pursue hard stuff and pursue tough stuff. And, um, and, and when you adopt that attitude, that mindset right off the bat, it unshackles you from a lot of the pitfalls and pratfalls that people kind of fall over or trip on, which is the concern and the worry about making something as easy as possible or that I have to really like it early on. You know, that's, that's just a really terrible mindset it's going to set you up that, for a lot of struggle. Is that something that is learned? Yes. You can shift it. Like, so, um, there are seven pillars that we actually, um, diagnose when working with people on mental toughness, specifically with athletes, but the same thing, it's mapped over to working with other, uh, public figures and leaders that I've worked with. And, um, so the six pillars are actual capabilities that I can work with. And I, and I, and I specifically, I didn't originally do this, but after a while, I named them capabilities. One of them is imagery, imagery capability, your ability to engage all of your senses to, you know, experience or see yourself do something. Like, mm-hmm. Because what, what it does, it, it maps a brain, it maps the part of, it maps, it maps something into your brain so it has a visual image of what you say that you want So that when the experience happens, it has a default sort of path to go down. Um, So that's one, concentration capabilities, anxiety and worry capabilities. So anytime you use the word capability with someone, it sounds like it's got substance to it, like that I can do something with it. Um, And and that's important. But the seventh one is desire. But I don't, even in in the assessment that people fill out, it just says desire. Desire is something I never touch. It's like motivation. I, I don't work with, if you rate yourself low on that, I'm not touching you. Mm. Like you, you, that's, that's a you thing, not a me thing. I, you can't motivate someone. That's, that's where people get it wrong. It's, it's an intrinsic thing. Either you really want it and you're willing to go through the brambles and the bogs to get to where you want to go and know that they're out there. Cause if you think it's just a paved pathway, you're, that's just a weak mindset. Like if I sign up for a program, like if I sign up for your program, I don't think that everything's going to be perfect inside of it. That would be a terrible expectation to place upon you guys as teachers or mentors or coaches. Mm -hmm. I know it's going to be difficult. I know there's things about me that are going to be, that are going to be difficult in that the way that I'm shaped right now, I'm coming to you guys with some paradigms that are probably going to run you know, counterpoint or friction to some of the things that you're teaching, right? Now, am I willing to unshackle myself from the old identity that I have or old self or old beliefs and latch onto new ones so that I can get to where I want to go? Because if you're not willing to do that, then you're just frankly not a very coachable person um, or at this moment, you're not a coachable person and you're coming with a really terrible mindset.
0: Hmm. So the people that actually are elite or they move into that sphere um, and practice of being elite. When you look at them versus average people, people who don't really accomplish anything, how coachable are the elite versus the ones who are not elite? It's
1: she's not even close. So the one thing that, um, it's, it's so funny, uh, Chris. So as a backstory here as well, Chris and I started together a little bit in one of my businesses. Um, and then Chris left to go build up his empire with Taylor but uh, we've known each other for a long time and he was brilliant then as he is now. Um, Well, the the thing I just, just, I'll I'll praise on you a little bit. You're always been a hard worker. Mm. So did you learn that or were you always that way? Even yourself? You guys, you guys want me to leave? (laughs) (laughs) I'll get to you in a bit, Taylor. You're, you're the moose booshed at the end of this show. Right, I'm here for the end. That's it. <laughs> well, no, but are, were, were you always, hard, or did you learn that? Or did you, or did you become a, you know, you know, if there's degrees of hard work, did you amp yourself up in some way? Yeah. You did. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I'm interviewing you now. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot, I think part of
0: it too was like my necessity was really high mm-hmm. and my pain was great. And so no matter what it took, I was willing to push, whether it was the common all-nighters making this stuff happen. And we've got some great stories together. But, yeah, dude, whatever it took, like, there was no other option but for me to push hard, press hard, as many hours as it took, Mm -hmm. owning it, whatever it took.
1: Yeah. Like, that was my mentality. So, So then going back to your question about the differences between, you know, elite and average and coachability thing, the thing that, um, so inside of my 90 year program, and we've had this since the very beginning when I implemented it, because again, I'm bringing a lot of, um, sports mindset stuff into the yeah. entrepreneurial world, um, was we had an we had an accountability coaching program where you filled out this assessment and then we would match you up, um, with someone who was near your level or maybe in your same industry or whatever. Um, and what's really funny is the people who latched onto it and thrived inside of it because we gave people framework for actually how to have their calls and stuff. I'm not, we, we did, we still do, um, was people that were more advanced in their business process. The people that resisted against it the most, maybe didn't respond to their partner, didn't engage, didn't even start the process was people who were newbies,
0: mm.
1: not every newbie, but newbies with a certain mindset. Um, because. Accountability to some people feels like it's, if, you, if, you, if you're of the mindset that account, accountability means that someone is watching over your shoulder, that right there is the hallmark of someone who has an average mindset. Because elite people look at accountability as insurance policies that their goal is going to happen. Right. It's, it's like, how many more insurance policies? How many more guarantees can I have that I can make what I'm pursuing inevitable? And accountability is just one of, it is, it is just a core operating principle of the, um, you know, it's like gravity. It's just, I want to make sure I live in a world where there's accountability. That's, what, that's yeah. their attitude,
0: 100%. So a question, that T has some questions, but um, just thinking like you're brought in to work with these people who are already elite. And so my question is, those people who are already they, they've already put in years of work, and so much sweat, equity and pain and just to become the best of the best. How, how much would you say and how much below their potential are those people still operating at?
1: Oh, it's um, well, for one thing, we don't actually allow the word potential to be used inside of our company. Because potential is the word average people use to excuse away their results. Mm. So uh, I have sat, again, I have over, I'm coming up on almost 18,000 hours of one-on-one work with people. Okay. So you, know, you do this for 22 years and you make sure that a lot of your calendars filled up with one-on-one stuff, which is stuff I love doing. Um, you know, yeah, we've got a lot. I've done, you know, equally more hours or equivalent hours when it comes to like group or doing speeches and things like that. But I love one-on-one. And, um, when you're sitting in the stands and you'll hear this now, because you guys are, Chris, I know you do. I've got kids that are playing sport at least right now. Yeah. Um, when you sit in the stands, you'll hear a parent say, you know, man, he's got so much more potential in him. Like it just, it's such a judgmental word with the way that most people use it. Like, it's like, really you as the parent, you're going to, you were freaking perfect at the age of nine or 10 or 15 or 16. Um, And, and then other people will say, man, I got so much more potential. And I'm like, no, what are your results? Like, tell me what your results are. Because as a performance guy, I need data. Like I need the numbers and the data tells me a story about what your paradigms are, what your philosophy is, what your perceptions are about things and what your opinions are. And I can work on those things, but don't, don't talk to me about potential. Um, I want to know what your capabilities are because capabilities are things that we can develop potential. I just don't know about that. Mm. Like it's, you know, people get in arguments over like, oh, human beings are only using about 10% of their brains. Where's the stat come from? That's just a wonderful little, you know, throwaway comment that someone used in 1966 from Norman Vincent Peale's book, Power of Positive Thinking, and now everyone else has adopted it. And, you know, they talk about it as if it's some sort of gospel truth. It's not. We, We don't know. So to answer your question, how many of these guys are operating at their peak levels? They're very close. They're very close to their you know, their peak capacity. Um, now there are a lot of people that come to me that aren't at the elite category yet. I would call them maybe at the pro category yet. They're getting paid, but they don't quite have the pro mindset yet. Like Mm. they still want things to be a little bit more perfect or conditions to just be right. Or their coach has to be a certain way before they're going to really show up. And those guys are the ones that, you know, they're, they're under indexing by, you know, a large percentage points like, and let's, let's call it at that level about, I'd say 15 to 20% below where they could be.
0: Got it. Yeah. T what you got. So
2: along those lines, Michael Jordan or LeBron James.
1: Jordan. Why? Um, uh, it comes down to uh, Jordan never had a game where he quit lebron did so his resume is a little more tarnished there when they were in the playoffs against the boston celtics before in the year that he left to go to miami it's widely known inside the league and those of us who work inside the league that he he, now again this is an extraordinarily elite person against an extraordinarily piece person so you just got now you're getting down to like super like we're getting hairline thin arguments um of things but uh the other side too is, um, and there can be an argument going the other way too with this. But Michael Jordan's uh, didn't have quite as much of a freakish size advantage that LeBron has as well. Like he's just got his muscularity was allowed him to push himself around more inside the box that more than Jordan did. Um, yeah. So yeah, but where else? What I will say about LeBron over Michael is as a maybe leader on the team, LeBron has more soft skills than Michael did. But again, eras, very different. I mean, Michael truly right. played in a far more violent um, era in basketball than Le- LeBron has.
2: You, you said something interesting, though, because if you even study Kobe, Kobe talked about the size of his hands Then it lend to the same thing as Jordan. It's almost like, if you get into the world of sales and training salespeople, which we do, they're the mental yeah. athletes and some people come in and they have this natural charisma and actually makes it harder for them to become the best. How much do you see that when you're training people who want to be elite, but is it, is it possible to have too
1: much natural talent where it kind of trains you into a little bit of laziness early yeah. on? Well, yes. And especially if you become aware of it too young. So here's what I mean. There's a, there's a young golfer that I worked with. Um, So Tiger Woods had uh, this early, early mentor when he was in his um, uh, from about the age of nine to 13, who really helped to shape his um, golfing mindset. Brilliant guy to Southern California. Um, This young guy that I worked with, I caught him at about the age of 18. Um, He had worked with the exact same guy and was a phenom like Tiger at the age of three, four, and this um, this coach made the mistake of telling him that you are the first you are the first golfer I have ever seen that looks exactly like Tiger Woods. So that got into his head that it will be inevitable, just because of my talent level, that I will become Tiger Woods. And what it did is it took his foot off of the gas pedal of skill development a little bit. He still worked on things, but he expected it to be there, which is, which is nice. You want to have high expectations for yourself, but you also want to follow suit with work to back it up, to give it, you know, Mm -hmm. sinew, to give it muscle, to give it, you know, um, you know, tension and strength. He didn't do that. And so, yes, yes. Um, we have, I've done studies on this. I did a, uh, kind of a famous study up in Canada in 2005, studying the athletes who were ranked as the top 200 hockey prospects, um, as teenagers, because what happens is you then end up going into this next round of draft in Canada. And how many of those top 200 prospects three years later, will still, we still playing the sport. The answer out of 22, what do you think out of 22 out of, out of 200 athletes, how many were left? Out of 200 or 22? That were the the best of the best that all got drafted to go into the Canadian Hockey League, which is the drafting league that goes into the NHL.
2: 10%?
1: Yeah, it was 11%. It was 24 kids. 24 kids were left. Um, So these were all the best, the best, most talented ones, right? But they didn't make it through. Um, Now, did they not? There was many reasons. The number one reason was coaching and parental pressures. 80% of them left. It was 81% left because of that but um so all the time this happens so if you become it's one thing to know you're good but then what you want to do is i'm gonna i'm gonna double down on that i'm gonna triple down on that i'm going to continue to build the skills on it because it'll go it will go because you're just going to find there's other people that are out there that are hungrier than you yeah Yeah. so 100 but here's one thing I, i mean i've worked a ton with sales organizations because again they're the people who are, they need a lot of mindset at work because you're putting yourself out there, you're getting beat up, you know, you're getting beat up every single day. Or if I, the way that I change it to is you're toughened up every single day. Um, and <clears throat> the thing that I found as a hallmark of the best salespeople is they are competitive people, very competitive. Now, they could be competitive, maybe outwardly to other people as well, but really it's a huge competition. They just want to be the best at it. Because I've seen people who are quiet—you'd never say a word—be unbelievable killers. salespeople. They're just killers, hundred yeah. percent. They're killers. So competition is 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 super key as an attribute of someone who wants to be great at sales in general, because it is very much a um, a hunting mentality that's out there. How much
2: how much work do you do with clientele on getting you get into an uh, engagement with someone and then you realize that they want all these things but they don't really know why and then you have to really fix the why is the why an important component of the drive that you talked to earlier
1: yeah um, uh, so what is it about you that causes you to want that sometimes it's a different way of asking the question Taylor like um, I find values more important because why gets to a question of mission or sometimes vision. And, yeah. and, and that's been my biggest challenge with some of the business books out there or even leaders that are out there. They talk about the importance of, you know, having a vision for your life and stuff like that. And, you know, just the, the harsh reality of, you know, working with so many people, not harsh reality, but just the reality of working with so many people that are at the top level is uh, of business or public figures or sports. They didn't have this grand vision for their life. They really didn't. They They were curious or they just wanted to pursue this thing that they really, um, just loved to do. And, you know, then you, because there's these questions that the kind of spiritual traditions have caused people to want to answer, which is like, what's your purpose? As if you have one purpose. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I've got multiple purposes on this planet. Like you, and so I'm much more concerned about how are you kind of built, like, what, how, how are you, what are you naturally sort of inclined to go and want to pursue um, or be interested in? And your values explains that a lot more. And then that gives me something to create as a operating system for how we work daily and how I can map this thing. Now I can map the thing that we're pursuing back to your value, like your value set and say, hey, by the way, by us going after this, this is going to reinforce and strengthen this sort of operating principle of how you want to be as an individual every single day. Yeah, so definitely. important to operate from that. Um, and I and I really do. I think that's such an important point to to give to people. Is and like stop trying to define out the vision that you've got. Like what your next five years, ten years looks like. Because I, I don't get stuck.
2: Yeah, it's so stuck.
1: stuck. It's a paralysis. It's sitting on the couch and then you think that, well, I can't, but if I do this, what I'm going to be missing out on? Cause what if the real thing that I'm going to want to do is, is, is if I go in that direction as if you you no, like just keep on failing forward and failing forward and failing forward. Um, and as all of, as I'm sure you guys have experienced, just like, I'm not going to speak for you guys, but my, my biggest wins in life are complete fucking luck. Like, and what I mean by that is by just, maybe going to a speech that I wasn't really, they weren't really my perfect crowd, but it was going to give me the chance to really work on my talk and become an, even a better communicator. because every, every speech is another chance to be a better communicator, whether it's the perfect audience or not. And there's always going to be some person, some person in the audience that's going to resonate with what I have. And it was always at events like that. It was always at the events it seemed that I really didn't need to be there. But I was there that some happenstance thing happened where, and truly I've had some major breakthroughs happen in riding an elevator back up into my suite where I just meet someone and they go, listen, I saw you, I saw your talk or, you know, whatever it was, would just major breakthrough happened.
2: So about that, how much study have you done on energy, like metaphysical
1: existential type, like just energy patterns? Have you done much? not a ton, not a ton. I mean, I, you know, more well-versed in like definitely like kinesiology and in other kind of more maybe structured sciences, not as much. I mean, I, I definitely have consumed a lot, but not sounds like you really delved into it.
2: No, I mean, I just think it, I think it's interesting because it's, it's sometimes luck and then it's, some, if, if luck happens over and over again, it's like, Oh, is there a pattern here? And is there something, Cognitively, yeah, that I'm I'm turned I'm turned off somewhere, so there's actually attraction mechanisms going on. Yeah, and, I mean you can go so deep, but I just started reading uh Eleven Rings by
1: Eleven the greatest rings? coach
2: of all time, Phil Jackson. Yeah, yeah. And man, he was super into that. Like he was super into yeah. the Zen and the energy. Exactly. And uh Jordan referenced all the time how like he he
1: wouldn't have been who he was without Phil Jackson because but of a why, lot of that. but why? Here's the thing because Phil Jackson was the shadow self of Michael Jordan. Mm. This is a very, very key thing for people. um, Is most people want to pursue and get coaching or read books from people that are like them. Well, that's only, so if you know anything about archetypes, you know, Carl Jung's archetypes or, you know, the archetypes found in stories and stuff, you know, there's 12 main archetypes. And uh, say one of my archetypes is out of a ruler archetype. A ruler archetype isn't someone who's like wants power. Truly the sort of mission of a ruler archetype is to create prosperity for everybody. Like he wants everyone to have, be prosperous. That's really where the King in their perfect domain is trying to create prosperity for everyone. But there is a shadow side to every archetype. There's a shadow side to every personality. And that is um, that when you're, when you're pulling yourself into the dark side of something, a uh, ruler will be too controlling. So if I ever found myself becoming too controlling, um, there is some emotional angst that's happening in my life that's causing me to become too controlling. And, and I can just, even that awareness, I can pull myself back into, okay, whoa, 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 Todd, like, you know, put the control, pull back the reins. Let's go, like, because really you're very much driven to be have everyone have prosperity. So now some of your biggest growth in life is going to come come from, the coaches, mentors, or people in your life, they up, they, a person could just be passing through a day for you um, that is the shadow side, meaning that they're, they sort of represent a different side opposite of you. Um, I'll give you an example. A, a, a buddy of mine had for the longest time thought that people who went out and bought flashy cars were just cheesy people. Like they were trying to overcompensate for something. All right? And, um, he had learned this concept of the, you know, step into the shadow side of your life. Cause that's where a lot of your growth is through someone else that I had shared this idea with. And, um, and so he found it really intriguing. And so he went and he bought himself a supercar and now at his core and how he operates daily is he's a super giving guy and he came from tough times. Well, what did he do with this supercar? He used it as a mechanism to inspire people. He uses it now to go out and he does um, speeches to like troubled kids and they can come and they can kind of, you know, see the car or whatever. And then, but then he, but he packages up a message for them. That's more important than the car is. Hmm. So that's an example of stepping into and finding this thing that you resist against the most is typically the thing that you should go after even more um, than anything else. And I find that with Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson, I found that there because Michael Jordan's, his sort of default way of operating is very much, you know, more abrasive, more hard and in your face, super hyper competitive. And Phil Jackson wasn't that. So he, Phil Jackson was truly the best um, mirror that he could have as a coach to develop himself. If he had um, I think he could have done it with um, Popovich as well. I think Popovich could have been a great coach for him as well, but I don't know if there'd been many other coaches that could have brought out Michael Jordan to be the Michael Jordan that he was. You yep. say this is specifically for a coaching role? Um, I'm not even saying yeah. Well, in some ways, yes. I had someone who <laughs> we she went through the like the hoops of actually getting on a call with me to see if we could work together one on one because there's a lot of hoops because um, I just don't have that much time. So I only really do coach or mentor a um, handful of people because you know I've got organizations to run and stuff and and um, at the end of the call, she's like, you know what? I really think I want someone that's more woo. And she's very much woo woo. And I just said, I'm like, you know, can I, can I give you some, can I coach you just for a second here before we, and that's fine. You can, but you're, you're not going to get anywhere near the results that you want because you're trying to find someone who's like you and it's just not going to, you need, there has to be some sort of abrasion that's there. Like I'm not here to be your best friend. In fact, what I tell people all the time, and you guys should actually adopt this, and or people that are listening should adopt this, is like, you know, so for Stuart or Samantha who are listening right now, if we're working together and you give me your goal, the thing that you want to go and achieve, or the project that you want to accomplish, or something like that, and I tell people all the time, be very slow on committing to a goal. Like, don't don't overwhelm yourself with trying to settle these goals and then realizing that you're not accomplishing them. because. You know, it, it sort of eats away at most ambitious people's sort of sense of self-efficacy and what they think they can and cannot do. But once you commit, I just want you to know you're the enemy. You're the enemy to that goal. Because the only reason that I'm here as a performance guy is to make sure that we develop something, that something gets achieved. And so what I know is the current version of you that's standing in front of me is not equipped to achieve this goal. So you're the enemy to it. So I'm going to drag you up this mountaintop so that we can get you to that goal. And you're not going to like a lot of it. And I'm going to challenge you constantly, but just so you know, you're the one who committed to this and I'm the one that you hired <laughs> to make that happen or to work with. And, and so, you know, I had a NHL client who saw a post from uh, Layla Ali, uh, Muhammad Ali's daughter, and we, we we become friends and Layla had uh, reshared a post of mine and said, um, there aren't, there aren't that something the effective. There aren't that many people in the mental toughness world that I've ever, um, thought or actually speaking the truth, but this guy knows what he's talking about. Um, even if it's uncomfortable. And so he reshared it in his Instagram story. And he said uh, something to the effect of, um, well, I can't say I overly like my coach. He's a hundred percent, right? A hundred percent of the time. And I definitely performing like at at a higher level than I you know had before. And I'm like, great, because I'm not here to be liked. I'm here to get you a result. Yeah. So you want to look for that tension.
0: Yeah, of that
1: conflict. And again, I'm speaking from my own experience because when I first started out, I was you know I wanted someone to maybe coddle me a little bit more because my biggest enemy growing. That's comfy. Yeah. Well, it's it's also it was also because um, part of my personality when I first started was I wanted everyone to like me. It was because I'm an extrovert. I'm a people person. And, and I wanted and I thought that that was some sort of metric of how successful you were was how many people liked you, um, you know, realize that it's a very painful purgatory to be caught in. Because not everyone's going to like you, no matter how kind and you know wonderful you were to person, someone, or how overly generous you were, or how much value you gave them. Just some people aren't going to reciprocate, or whatever the case is. Yeah. And it was actually the epiphany came when I was. Do you guys remember Annie? The the channel Annie It's still around, but they they ran these biographies called Annie biographies, where they do biographies mm-hmm. on people, and they were awesome. It's one of my favorite shows. Um, and uh, they had this one biography on, I think it was the six most influential spiritual leaders of all time, and they had. Gandhi and Muhammad and, um, Buddha, Jesus, um, Martin Luther King and mother Stuart or mother Stuart, (laughs) mother Teresa. And, uh, anyways, it it was three, it was three people in and I thought to myself, they just didn't like Jesus and Buddha and Gandhi. And I thought to myself, wait a second, here's three people that just, whether you like their spiritual teachings or whatever, seem like they're pretty good people. And yet they had millions of people who wanted to kill them. If they couldn't get everyone to like them, not that that was their pursuit, why the fuck am I trying? Mm -hmm. It was this huge switch that happened in my head. And then I just stopped caring about whether or not people liked me. And I started speaking definitely from a place of, you know, Truth from what I was seeing on the field of play, because I am someone who who consistently sort of rails against the leadership world, rails against the self-help world because of how many people are just thought repeaters. They're not actual practitioners, you know, so people here, if you're reading books from people who aren't practitioners, meaning that they don't have a practice where they're actually working with people one-on-one on shepherding them through whatever the content is or whatever the lessons are or whatever the context is that they, that they speak about, they're not going to have the sinew of experience because only from being with people one-on-one and underneath the pressure of the performance that you need to give people to help them improve, can you truly understand what it actually takes to make someone change their sales ability in your case? For me, change their mindset and their performance on the field of play, how they practice, how they train, how they actually prepare, the things that are actually going on between the six inches of their ears. Not the stuff that they say at the, um, you know, uh, you know, interview booth after they get done the game or something like that, because that's just to appease people. I'm gonna t- I'm not gonna tell you what I actually think about my competitors out there. I'm not gonna tell you what yeah. I actually do behind the scenes, and so it gets filled up in a lot of self help books. is Books is things that they sound wonderful and they sound nice, but if something tastes a little bit too sweet to you, that's the hallmark. That's the real test for you. If something tastes sweet, if it tastes like cotton candy and bubble gum and you know all those things, just like just I'm letting you know that it's not going to satiate the appetite. It's, it's, it's too high in fructose. and it's too and, high in sugar.
2: Do your clients hate that? Do they hate the celebrity booths and the stupid interviews? It's like that's one of the biggest derogatory marks against our culture, in my opinion, is yeah. the celebrity culture. It's like, man, you get paid to play basketball not to answer your stupid questions Yeah. after that's the game. Do they hate I, that? Hate it. Hate it. <laughs> I would. Yeah. It would be like the worst part.
1: Yeah. Some so of them… Are using it as a means to an end for more celebrity for themselves. That's definitely something that's out there for them, and they and they get it. But I think one of my, I think one of the greatest athletes that's living today and will probably go down as if not the greatest baseball player to ever play the game. He'll be in the top five for sure because the statistics just show it. And that's Mike Trout. You know, i uh, the outfielder for the um, Anaheim Angels or the you know the LA Angels. Uh, he is never does any sort of endorsements. He won't do endorsements for the major leagues of baseball even. And they beg him to do it. And he's like, I'm a baseball player. That's all I am. Highest paid baseball player I think right now. He's got the highest contract. I mean, he's just, he's an absolute, he's not a freak because that's, that's the takeaway from his skills, but he's just an unbelievable player but he is just so principled in what he wants his career to be about. And that's it to be about baseball period. You don't see him selling Acuras. You don't see him selling Mercedes and you don't see him selling Rolexes, you know, and while that could be an extraordinarily lucrative side of his income, he's here to be one of the greatest baseball players of all time. If not the greatest, that's it. And all this other stuff is going to be a distraction. And that's one of my challenges that I have with some people is like, I'm like, dude, what are you doing on Instagram all the time? Like that's like you, this is an extraordinary short amount of time that you have right now where you're going to probably have your highest income earning years. And yes, afterwards, you could parlay this into multiple business deals, da 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 But just to let you know, like that's an extraordinarily small percentage of guys who go off, go off and be successful there as well. Here's what we do know as a known bird in the hand, right? What we know is you are a pro-level skill at this thing that you can do. And yet you're not devoting as much time and energy as you possibly can to extract as much juice out of it as you possibly can because you're too concerned about, you know, did you get enough likes on things? It's just ridiculous to me. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And the drama, the drama can mess up a person's trajectory. I mean, look, I look at KD last year and he started, even LeBron dude to an extent, I feel like if Michael was playing right now, I don't know if he'd be, I think he wanted it to be, he wanted to kill competition more than he wanted to be popular.
1: He would pick. He would pick that yeah. or anything else. Can I, can I share with you the actual, so this is, this is the thinking of one of the, he'll go down as one of the greatest uh, uh, soccer players of all time. Um, so I worked with him for quite a few years and um, his, his attitude um, on the pitch was he was personally offended that you were sharing the same blades of grass as he was. And so he felt like it was his personal mission to go out there, including teammates and show them just how much more inferior they were to him so that they, they got every single match or game that he played a fully loaded experience of how much further they were going to have to work in order to even sniff the cleats that he had on. Now, just think about that now is, now, again, that's his own personal philosophy that goes on between. If you truly embody that thing yeah. and you can put on a kind face to other people
0: yeah. and
1: you're not being, a, he wasn't going out there to be uh, like a dick to people, but he knew that through the, the chalk that outlined that pitch, He was just so offended that you, that you got the chance to come and share those same blades of grass based on the amount of work that he had to put in to get as good as he, as he was. And so he's just going to bury you. I'm just going to, yeah.
2: Bro, this is why alter ego is so good because you can't take that shit home with you to your wife and kids. And so Chris, remember this? Like six months ago, we made everybody on our sales team buy all three. Go. They all bought a copy of the book because they were struggling. They were like, "How do I compound everyone in the face and then go home and be a dad?" And like, they were struggling with it. This, what you just said, should like not yeah. what you've said before isn't equally as profound. But dude, that it's not. It's not. It it's up, not. Equally dude, that. <laughs> bro, you're. A, I'm offended that you would even try to compete with me because you don't. Because yeah. of what I've been through, my price has been higher. My time has been higher. I deserve it. I deserve to beat everyone all the time. And if you take that, like people struggle with that, taking that home, but alter ego fixes it. It allows you to contain the beast inside of its little spot.
1: Just, just like, just like Kobe, Kobe had, Kobe had the black Mamba. And I mean, by the way, like I was out in California and I was two days away from meeting with Kobe to talk to him about bringing the alter ego training into the Mamba Academy. I was in San Diego sitting with uh, my buddy, Tom Ferry speaking at his event. Tom used to train with, um, uh, Uh, Kobe in the mornings they had the same trainer there's four of them that all got together and um, we had been connected for a while but Kobe kept the black mamba in a cage in his head and he'd approached the cage in the lock while he's in the locker room again this is all inside of this is again one of the um, pillars that I talk about the seven pillars of mental toughness this is pillar number one imagery ability your your ability to now create movies and pictures in your own mind and go there and he went and he would stand there with a key and he would pause. He would pause before he would unleash the black Mamba because it only came out uh, when it came time to play um, or compete in general. And uh, he stopped and that, and that stopping mechanism, I do it with even other stuff too, um, was there as a ritual to honor what was about to happen, which is to honor another side of your another, because in the book, And what you're referring to, Taylor, is this idea, not even idea, it's a true concept of human beings, which is multiple selves. We have multiple selves. I don't want to bring this, you know, I'm a challenger personality type. If people are watching, of course I am, you know, based on the types of people I need to, I need to break through the hard exterior of some of these, you know, um, outer attitudes that people have, because some people just want to hang on to a Uh, an athlete. And and I don't, that's why we don't publish. I don't talk about the people that we work with because I don't want anything from you with your name. I just, I really want um, to be as excellent as I can be as a coach. And the only way that I think I can get there is by making sure that the people who come to me are coming to me with a true desire to want to be great. Not because they think that they're going to get close to Kevin Durant or to any one of the number of people that I may know. So. So Todd, can
0: you quickly talk about what the alter ego effect is? Because I know some people on here will yeah. know it. They've heard of it. They read the book, but I think it, for context, it'll benefit people. Put
2: up, put up that little picture again, man. So we can
1: hear it. I got you. <laughs> um, yeah. So what is the alter ego effect? Well, the key word in that title is actually effect. It's not even alter ego. Um, because the effect of having an alter ego as, is that you actually get to discover more of what you are by using an age-old principle that's been around since really the dawn of cognitive thinking, uh, of using a model or a picture in your mind of someone or something else that you aspire to be like in some ways. But what people get wrong is they use the term fake it till you make it. And right off the bat, I mean, words matter. You guys know this as guys who, you know, talk about language every single freaking day with people. Why would I want to use something where I'm going to be faking it, right? It's the word, no one wants to be fake about anything. Um, but the idea of the alter ego is, is that it comes from Cicero, the great Roman statesman philosopher, which means when he used it the first time in a letter to a friend in 44 BC, what he referred to it, how he referred to it as, is it's the other eye or trusted friend within to help you navigate the challenging pursuits that lie ahead. Because sometimes you have a tough time seeing the current version of yourself being successful at this thing because you know it might be difficult or you don't see yourself as having the skills yet. But I can see how Taylor can be successful at it or I can see why Chris could be successful at it. Oh, because Taylor is this way. So what I would just say Mm -hmm. to him, because you have this sort of idea in your mind of who Taylor is, why don't you borrow that model in your mind and on those calls show up as if you were Taylor? But the follow-up question to that is, what are the attributes or qualities about Taylor that you think make him so good at what it is that he does? And 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 it's that, because it's not about, I don't want to be a second-rate Taylor, but there's something about the way that he's showing up that I like. So it's not that you know, it's not everything about Taylor, but it's something about his attributes that I really would love to adopt. Well, then I'm going to adopt that as my alter ego, that trusted friend within. And then I have the method in the book of how you then trigger the alter ego with consistency, born out of the fact that I've done this, you know, tens of thousands of times with athletes and, you know, leaders and public figures um, to help them. At the very beginning, at least, get past the inertia of the blast off from the platform, right? Where it takes so much energy to get yourself going in the pursuit of something new. Um, Plus, what's the most important thing for me is it brings back an an attitude of playfulness in life. Mm Because for me, playfulness is the final golden key to unlock peak performance, which lies within that flow state. Because if you're, if you're trying to force things, there's an attitude behind it that forcing, there's not playfulness there. The reason that young kids don't hear you when you're calling for them is because they're being playful. They have an attitude of playfulness there, which now allows them to fall into the zone state and flow state. So, you know, the alter ego is just um, my kind of core method that I would use to help people overcome challenges really fast because the moment you change how you associate your, with yourself, all things change with it, right? So the moment you change how you associate with yourself, all things change with it. So while other people are trying to get you to change habits and some attitudes and some beliefs, I stay away from the tangled web of beliefs. Boy, is that a, that's fraught with peril. Instead, I'll change the identity of someone. Because when I change the identity, you know, then it changes. And just to give you an example. So I said before, I'm a challenger personality type. That's just my challenger personality type as an individual in how I coach. I'm not a challenger personality type when I get on the call to be the CEO of my business and a leader. I have other qualities that I show up with there and I have other sources of inspiration for how I want to show up as a leader there. You know, it'd be, it would be, it would be um, uh, counterproductive if Taylor is leading the organization and he's bringing his sales sort of mentality onto the leadership calls. Right. And then when I go home, even, the last thing my kids want, I got three little kids, last thing they want is challenge your dad. I mean, boy that doesn't sound like fun so my source of inspiration for how i'd like to show up around my kids is mr rogers and my own dad now mr rogers is a polar opposite to being a challenger personality type he's fun he's creative he's imaginative he's playful he's patient all five qualities i would love to have for my kids right and what that does is it honors the many sides of who i am and it it allows me to not get trapped inside of one identity which most people do and um and multiple self theory which is the um, the fastest growing field of basically psycholo- one of the fastest growing fields of psychological study right now um, honors this idea. Chris, you're the
2: one that you're the one that has the question and you just let them hang in like that. No, 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 no we're, dude, just, I,
1: we're, just, we're just, we're just, we're just letting that land with people. That's all that it's
0: got to, it's got a <laughs> to simmer because myself. I think I do think it's really important. And I'm curious how much of this is a c- contribution to taking the people that you've worked with to newer higher levels of being elite
1: how much did i use the alter ego method yeah how much of a contributor is it in their journey the to become elite
2: one of the mains
1: probably one of one of the main i mean it's and never going to it's never going to you know you still have to build skills and you still have to it's have all it's he's not, good at he's only yeah. good at all three. Nothing it. else. That's <laughs> it. That's all of it. You know, but wow. to the point. I mean, so just even this because this is something that some of the people that you guys might be around when you're coaching businesses and things like that is they they really resist against this idea of niche or being known for something. Well, man, I'll tell you what. Once I uncovered the alter ego process, which is what I did in 2003, that's what I became known for um, in 2004 that thing skyrocketed because I was known as what became the quick hit artist guy. I'm the guy that you call when you're up against it. A guy's going into the U S open in Flushing Meadows in New York and they're struggling. And because I could come in, cause that was my promise. I can come in and I can shift things in a day because I wanted that pressure. Some people wanted long-term relationships with their clients. I didn't, I had a 60 day out. You couldn't be a client with me for longer than 60 days. And that's, and the reason for that was because I didn't want people to look for a crutch. I also said, listen, I'm going to come and give you everything I've got in 60 days. And then what would happen is that about the 45th day, that's when I get to know someone and, Mm -hmm. and, and really see if this is someone I have a really, if I really do want to have a long-term relationship with. But I wanted to set up from the very beginning that guys, helping to fix, helping to fix the six inches between your ears doesn't have to be a lifelong struggle. Like we could do this really quickly, but you have to be coachable and you have to be willing to be accountable to me. And, um, I really need you to take an, um, an attitude of curiosity to see just what yeah. you are actually about. Like you have this definition of what, what and who you think you are, but I just want to, you know, let you know that that's not really what and who you are. There's a lot more to you yet. And I'm really fascinated to find out what else is underneath the hood there. Um, and so you just think about that messaging. That's not something that a lot of people messaged in my, in my space anyway, that 60 days is the maximum you get to spend with me. Like how many people in the kind of business coaching space say that no one does that because they all want long-term stuff, but yeah. that truly is just how I operate. And that's my personality type too, is I, I like coming in and winning the relationship, winning um, for that person. And then, you know, leaving a legacy of breadcrumbs behind me as I move on to the next one.
0: Yeah. So you guys obviously need to go get that book.
2: Yeah. Obviously. I would get the book. I would get the book. I would also, you know, I'll land the plane here, Todd, for us. Yeah. Chris will just talk all day, but. I need hey, well, yeah.
0: Just let me just one, one little question.
2: See, there we go, man.
0: <laughs> we don't have a lot of time, but you know, one thing that I just want to throw out there that people might not be aware of, I'm sure a bunch of people are, but uh, the 90 day year, mm-hmm. that's your,
1: your jam, your course. Yeah.
0: Is that available? Is that on market or? Yeah. That. So
1: ninety-day year was born out of um, I was working with a athlete and some, some sports are just really long seasons. Right. And he always had this dip in the middle of a season. So I said to him, um, this is back in about 99. I said, Well, let's just create a 90 day sprint. And this is before sprints and scrum became this thing. Um, and, um, and even Sutherland, he's become a friend who really kind of created scrum. So uh, that's what we did. I was like, "Well, let's break your season up into two seasons." Um, and then afterwards, then I found and discovered that how uh, how much how much more powerful it is to break down things into shorter timeframes, especially for the types of personality types that end up in sport and and uh, the business, in particular entrepreneurship or you know uh, small business, and because they actually do have very similar personality types. Uh, so the night of the year is my way of creating um, and. Not only giving people the skills of what it takes to be uh, a top performer, focus, discipline, because that's what it is it's about commitment to something yeah. over a short amount of time and committing to yourself. But it's also about um, allowing them to find what's the right thing for you to be working on right now. Because it's not, it's not a productivity system. Most people are working on the wrong things. As you guys know, sequencing matters in success, doing things in the right order. Um and, and so you know you see people that are like they're trying to build up all their operational back end. I'm like, do you even have a sales and marketing system put in place yet? Do you even know who you're talking to yet? Why are you doing that? Right. You know, you want to build up a business where it starts to overwhelm the back end of your business because that's the actual genesis of things. You're you're supposed to break yep. the back end of your business. That's that's the kind of the rule of it. So, anyways, but yes, it, it is out So, there how can people get
0: information on that?
1: Do you, you yearcom many- is is where people can go to um to check that out alter ego where people can go get more stuff on the alter ego just even more videos more companion guides that, that go along with the book but um anyway enough about me why don't you land the plane taylor
2: i mean chris basically just landed it for me he's like you want to oh, land the plane oh, and he lands the plane no i would <laughs> i would just say you know one of the, my first actually my first encounter with todd was 90 day year and really developed the difference between activity and achievement and they're not the same things and yeah. People wanna just get in and get busy, but when you're busy in the wrong direction, you know, it actually is counterproductive. And so yeah, you know, I would definitely second what Chris said about 90 day a year. And dude, I just want to thank you because you're one of those guys you can you're similar to us, you can tell the people in the market who are who have modeled their material off of you
0: mm-hmm. and they're
2: teaching something, but it's like, oh, they came from Todd. You know, that that tracks back to the alter ego effect. And uh, dude, you've impacted our companies, you've impacted. Obviously, Chris, you basically his dad raised them. <laughs> Please, as, not as even the <laughs> uh But dude, even our sales guys. I mean, man, yeah. sometime when you're a natural yet I come by and stare stuff. And it's one of my favorite
1: towns. I love that place. So happy just, to.
2: And you'll recognize the smell and the feel and the drive. And uh, a lot of it is based on the ability to have that killer mentality, but still be healthy. Now, that's what yeah. the alter ego does. It, it allows you to be a killer, but still healthy. And not get mm. completely wrecked, and yeah. and you're not trading success at work for success at home. You can have both because it's different different facets. Well,
1: you know? you, you could be a killer where you need to be a killer, and you can be a caretaker 100%. where you need to be a caretaker. And you yeah. know, even when you're lacious with your spouses, you can be a lover where you need to be a lover. And there's because there's all those sides to you. It's just most yeah. people have a tough time, you know, expressing those things. And um, yeah. So, anyways, been it's no, been dude, a pleasure getting maybe. to know you guys over the years. So happy to support in whatever way I can.
2: Thanks for hopping on. Thanks for your time. Everybody get his book, stalk him on social, message him every day. And if he's still doing $25 an hour sessions, if you guys want to hit him up about that.
0: Sign up for sure.
1: (laughs) I'm not advertising that.
0: (laughs) All right, man. Thanks, Thanks for listening. For more from Chris and Taylor, visit trafficandfunnels.com and get a free gift just for being a subscriber. That's trafficandfunnels.com.
2: Hey guys, what's up? Taylor Welch here. Quick announcement for you. You might have noticed that I've kind of been in and out and submerged in our own businesses for quite a while. We're actually in a space we're about to rent out because of the growth. And my business partner and I, we always say that there's really three different distinct levels of growth as an entrepreneur. There's surviving. That's the first level. You got to figure out how to eat. Come on, being able to pay for food and for housing is actually a nice benefit of uh, making money. Then there's thriving. So when you get to the place where a lot of our clients get to, where they have surplus, they have abundance, they have the ability to take care of more than just themselves. That's one of the goals that you should have in your life is not only how do I take care of my family, but how do I take care of the families and the people around me? But there's a third level, and it's called impact. It's when you're able to actually give, and invest into a generation of people who have their own circles of influence. They have their own families. They have their own clients and employees. And me and Chris are really at that third level. For the first time in our lives, I'm actually coming out of the offices where we've built you know, teams of people and different businesses we combined will do almost $70 million next year in revenue. And I'm wanting to invest into people. I'm wanting to invest into, you know, not just the next generation, but the current generation of business owners and entrepreneurs who want to thrive, who want to build their own levels of impact. So be honored if you would consider maybe the opportunity to partner together. Maybe when you have an event coming up or you know you're speaking at something, I want to partner with people who have a voice to help them invest lessons that I've learned, painful lessons costly lessons over the last five, six years. I've done everything wrong to a degree, and we have learned how to build healthy, sustainable, growing, profitable businesses. I wanna teach your crew how they can not only make a lot of money, but thrive while doing it. Not only make a lot of money, but be fulfilled while doing it. This is my next step as an entrepreneur. I've made it through the survival stage. I've made it through the thriving stage. Now I'm ready to really focus on impact and partnership. Go to trafficandfunnels.com slash Taylor Welch. There's details on that page. If you have an event coming up, we'd love to be considered to help you wow your audience. And not only that, but make a lasting impact into their lives and their families as well. Talk soon.